Uh, this is Christmas at South Hills. We're in the last week of our series, right? And this is a this is a season. Christmas is a season of joy, of generosity, and of traditions. Many of you have your own traditions, uh, things that you like doing. I, I've asked several of you: Do you celebrate on Christmas Eve, or do you do it on Christmas Day? Uh, some of you said it on Eve. Some of you said it the next day. Us Puerto Ricans do it both on the Eve and the day. I said it yesterday, we like to party. Anyway, so uh, we, uh, there's a lot of things happening. Your home is different than our home, and, and I'm sure there's incredible things going on. But just like in our favorite holiday movies, Christmas is not without its threats. It's not without its threats. This month, we have been taking a look at the villains, the villains of the original Christmas story and how they might be still working today to keep you from experiencing the wonder, the joy, the hope, the peace, and the love of Christmas. And, and the first villain that we addressed on week one was King Herod, right? We talked about King Herod. And then and, uh, the second villain that we addressed was the innkeeper. Some of you didn't even think about the innkeeper and how that person could have played a, a, a role uh, a villain role. And then last week we talked about the gifts and how sometimes we're super focused on the gifts and, and, and not really the, the relationship that we have with people. And so this morning I would like to, to start off by reading to you a part of the Christmas story as it is found in Matthew chapter 2, verse uh, 8 through 16. And it says, then he told, right, this is, this is a moment where uh, King Herod had, had heard Right, had heard about what was uh, going to uh, happen about the birth of this king, about this baby, and he he summoned for the uh, the three kings or the, the magi to come. Right, and he told them, "Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too." Lies. Right, but hold on to that. I want you to hold on to that. After this, verse nine. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Verse 11. They entered the house and saw the, saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until, until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Verse 14, that night Joseph left, the, uh, left for Egypt for the child, uh, with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This, fulfillment, uh, this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. So how is it that 
He starts off, go and find out about this child and tell me about it so that I can worship him. And then a few verses down, he's ready to kill him. Let me ask you this. Have you ever known someone who seemed to be one way at work or uh, one way in the community or around you and another way in other situations, circumstances, right? One way at work and when he's not or he or she is not at work, they're a totally different person. Maybe like King Herod is one way and then he flipped the script, was another way. Before I was called into ministry, I worked at a telecommunications company in New York City and uh, I had a boss uh, actually, I worked at a law firm in the telecommunications uh, department, and I had a boss, and his name was Joe Agro. I don't know if he's ever watching online. I'm talking about you, Joe. And that was many, many years ago, uh, and uh, almost 30 years ago. Anyway, Joe, Joe was a serious dude. Joe, <laughs> Joe was 100% business all of the time that I saw him. He didn't, he didn't like jokes. His emails were super serious and he wasn't interested in any kind of fun between the hours of nine to five. He walked in like, mm. walked out, mm. at lunchtime, mm. in a meeting, mm. and it was just straight business like, Joe, do you have any ounce of like fun in your life? Like it was just, he was one way at work, right? But there were a few instances as, as I started to kind of uh, uh, work at the company and got to know people and, and, and build some relationships. And there were a few instances where I would run into him at, uh, at different places, just out of office hours, Right? And I would run into him at functions and maybe, maybe it was like a Christmas party or, or something like that. And um, he was a different person, man. He was a different person. He was so excited to see me. He would hug me and say, yeah, friend. He would hug me. And he was like a shorter man. And I'm like, dude, this is just so weird. Like your head is in my chest and you're hugging me. Like you barely say a word to me at work, Right. He was outgoing and he was friendly. He was laughing and joking. And you, he, he had that little old man dance, right? And, and he, it was just, he was just a different guy, a totally different guy, right? But then came Monday morning and he was back to, huh? I'm like, what happened to the Joe? He was, you know, like laughing, joking. What happened? Yeah. I'm like, gosh, right? He was a total different person. The funny, uh, the laughing, the happy to be, happy to, uh, to, to live life version of Joe was nowhere to be found. Have you been around someone like that? Have you been around someone like that? I got to say that I like the laughing and joking and dancing version of, uh, version of Joe Agro uh, way more than the at work version of Joe Agro. I don't know if he's alive still, but um, I didn't get to share that with him. So, Joe, hopefully you're listening to you, right? There are a lot of things that I, I talk about in, in my messages uh, uh, that I give here from the platform and the series that we teach and uh, a lot of things that I use as illustrations. And, and of course, I, I am definitely, I want you to hear this out, 
I am definitely, definitely not always recommending that you do something, that you save something, or watch something, or try the things that I share from this platform. Okay? That's my disclaimer. Yes? Not? It's just an agreement? I want to make sure. Right? Because uh, with that being said, have you watched the Will Ferrell movie, uh, Talladega Nights? About the NASCAR driver, uh, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> There's this so dumb, so dumb that it's so funny scene where he is sitting at the table with his wife and his friends, right, at the dinner table, and, and Ricky Bobby starts praying for the food. All right, don't raise your hand and say you've watched it. Just, just go along with this, right? And he's sitting at the table, and he says, Dear eight pounds, six ounces, newborn infant Jesus. Dear, they're praying. They're praying for the food. They're getting together. Dear eight pounds, six ounces, newborn infant Jesus. And his wife is upset. But he's unmoved. He's, he's not bothered by it. He doesn't care. And he firmly re responds back. Why? I like the Christmas Jesus best. I like the Christmas Jesus best. Now, I know it's a silly movie. You, you don't have to go. If you've never watched it, you don't have to go and watch it. Okay? Just take my word for it. It was funny. It's a silly movie, but his character said out loud what many of us think internally. His character said out loud what many of us think internally, and that is that we tend to like the Christmas Jesus best, as if he is one out of many different types of Jesuses that we get to pick between. Friends, we have been looking at the threats and villains that have the potential to steal the wonder and beauty of Christmas from us this year. And the final villain that we're sharing with you today is baby Jesus. What? Blasphemy! No way, pastor! Mm -mm. This ain't my church. I'm leaving. Mm -mm. You talking about baby Jesus? Baby Jesus? But before you leave here all upset, some of you are already texting. Who are you texting right now? Who are you writing to right now? Come on. We in family. This is amongst us. Before you text somebody or you walk out, let me explain what I mean this morning and how eight pounds, six ounces, newborn infant Jesus could possibly be a threat to us this Christmas. You don't have to show a sign, of, a sign of by waving your hands, but how many of us also like Christmas Jesus best? We may not say it out loud, but Christmas Jesus is adorable. He's so cute. Little swaddled in the manger. I can't tell you how many times I've grabbed baby Jesus from the nativity scene. 
Many of you have had nativity scenes, and who's the first one you touch? Baby Jesus. He's so cute. Maybe the cow or the camel or as well, but you, you definitely think that baby Jesus is adorable. And while we pray, we may not pray to baby Jesus, we do often fall into this pattern of keeping the Jesus of our faith small and contained an infant. Jesus is for Sundays. Jesus is for saying grace before a meal. Jesus is the character from those cute little Bible stories. Jesus is who we sing pretty songs about. Jesus is this mythical fairy tale I think about and get ooh, warm feelings about. Baby, Jesus doesn't ask me to do anything. But therein lies the challenge. If you get stuck on the baby, on the infant, you'll miss out on the king. You'll miss out on the king. In the play turned um, movie Amadeus, everybody saw that, not recommending you see it either, all right? There was an old composer named Soleri, and he was lamenting about how his own operas, which were about legendary heroes, were boring and, and, and tedious and, 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 and came with uninspired music. And he compared them with Mozart's pieces and his astonishing ability to take uh, characters off of the street and create something truly magical. And he says this, He has taken ordinary people, barbers and chambermaids, and he has made them gods and heroes. And I have taken gods and heroes and made them ordinary. And I think that we may be unknowingly doing the same thing, doing the same thing when we keep Jesus confined to the baby in the manger. We're taking God, our king, and making him ordinary rather than someone to be worshipped, honored, and followed because he's so cute. He's so adorable. One writer in scripture expressed his frustration this way in Hebrews 5 verse 12 uh, through 14 says, you have been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need to teach uh, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Verse 14, solid food is for those who are mature, who through trainings have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Essentially, what he's saying here is that, that many begin their faith journey in the same manner, right? Adoring this newborn, beautiful Jesus Christ, baby Jesus. 
But their faith never outgrows the manger, never leaves the manger. They see Jesus as this little cute baby and never becomes more than that. They never mature spiritually. Many of us are happy to sing songs about Jesus and attend his parties on Sundays and holidays as long as it gives us the warm feelings of comfort and joy. Oh, I got the goosies, right? But Jesus didn't stay in the manger, church. As he grew, he began living and teaching and interacting in the ways that are often uh, uncomfortable for us. When he says things like, take up your cross and follow me, we let out a, oh, I don't like that part. Why do I got to take up my cross and follow him? That's heavy. Like, that's like really heavy. This really makes me uncomfortable, Right? And we go back and reminisce about, ooh, sweet newborn Jesus who didn't seem to care about how we acted or the choices that we made. King Herod wasn't deeply disturbed because, a newborn, because of a newborn baby. No, he was deeply disturbed because a king, the king, had been born. The Magi didn't travel thousands of miles because babies are so adorable. No. They traveled thousands of miles because a king, the king of kings and lord of lords, had been born. These are serious implications that come along with God in flesh, and our lives should be shaped by his words, his ways. And it's calling. But when we keep Jesus in the manger, it allows us to make our own choices and have our own way in life. As long as we, we see Jesus as the little cute baby in the manger who is saying goo goo gaga, then it allows us to kind of live the way we want to live on this side. Because the moment that we accept that Jesus has grown up, has started to teach and preach and show us the way, life, the truth, all of a sudden now it requires us to, to, to act the right way, to understand his teachings and to live accordingly. But when Jesus said, no one, no one can serve two masters, he was letting us know that his plan, he was letting us know his plan for our relationship. He was telling you, you cannot serve two masters. It wasn't that, he could, that we could celebrate his life, right, and do whatever we, we want with ours. That wasn't what he was telling us. Jesus' call is that we conform our will and way to his. And it's not, it's not so that we, that we can live a miserable life. Just, just making sure you understand that, right? 
It's so that we can experience the flourishing that God intends for us to know and love and live. Right? He said, I came to bring you good life, to live life to the fullest by living the way that he designed us to live. The Apostle Paul actually wanted to remind one of the early churches uh, uh, of who Jesus truly was because we often forget about the power and the majesty of Christ the King when we stay focused on Jesus the baby. In Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That description, that particular description in, 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 in the word of God doesn't sound like sweet baby Jesus. doesn't sound like sweet baby Jesus without an opinion or an ancient uh, a fable between, uh, that's told at bedtime, right? It's not just a little story that we hear. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul instructs the readers to continue standing firm in their understanding of Jesus as king because the natural tendency is to drift away. So we have to actively, actively stand firm in a different way of believing and knowing and thinking and living. We just can't stay stuck and baby Jesus. N.T. Wright, an author and theologian, helps us understand that this isn't meant to be a light adjustment, a light adjustment from day to day, but a complete overhaul in how we live. He says, to use a musical illustration, Jesus is often seen as someone who can teach you to play the piano so that you can perform Mozart and Beethoven. But Jesus was more like someone who had just invented an entirely new musical instrument, had written some stunning music for it, and was now teaching people to play the new music on the new instrument. 
Jesus was announcing that a whole new world was being born and he was teaching people how to live within that whole new world. Okay. Okay, pastor, fine. Fine, fine, fine. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. I get that. But what does that mean for me practically, right? For, for What does that mean for us today in 2023 or, or in a few days as we enter into 2024? What does that actually mean for us practically? How do we use that? How do we use that understanding? Paul actually wrote about that too. He wrote in Colossians 3, Verse 12, it says, Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, and so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that, com- uh, that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Verse 16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other within, uh, with all the wisdom he gives, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, or, or, or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Verses 12 to 14, right? It tells us how we're supposed to act towards others. Verse 15 tells us how we're supposed to be experienced by others. And verses 16 and 17, it tells us how we're supposed to speak with others. So it clearly identifies how we are to live our lives. I know that it's put simply and poetically and to the point here, but it's more challenging than that. It's more challenging to actually live this way. And I guarantee it won't happen accidentally. It has to be intentional, right? It has to happen. You have to choose to live your life this way. We must be intentional about arranging and ordering our lives in a way that enables us to follow the king and not be stuck with the baby. Does that make sense? In order to actually do it, we have to be intentional with our time and our energy and our resources. And I think the same can be true when it comes to intentionally making Jesus the king of our lives. And that's why this week's challenge for you is so important, especially going into the new year. Because as we go into the new year, it's filled with so many plans and goals and aspirations and things that you want to achieve. And so I want to challenge each of you, all of us, to, to schedule at least 10 minutes, 10 minutes of solitude this week, 
during that time, I want you to ask God to prompt you, right, to speak to you with, with changes or goals that he wants you to prioritize in 2024. And I want you to write down what comes to mind. Not just hold it in your mind, but actually write it down and see how that compares to the goals that you have set for yourself. Because when we understand who Jesus is, that he is our king, and that he is holding us to a certain level to live our lives accordingly, the goals that he has set for us or wants us should match, that, match, match with that of how we live our lives. But if you're not living your life according to his word, his scripture, then your goals may not line up with his. And so I'm going to wrap this up this morning. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I really believe that if we are intentional about asking God to speak to us, he will. He will speak to you and he will give you the goals for you and your family in this brand new year. It might be a nudge. It might be a word. It might be a goal. It might be a person. Whatever it is, we should be intentional about making plans and decisions in a way that reflects the king that we claim to follow. Is he king of kings and lord of lords? Or is he baby Jesus who has yet learned to speak? At Christmas, friends, we need, to, we need the wonder of the angel's announcement, the shepherd's excitement, the beauty of the first Noel, and everything else that comes along with the birth of Jesus. We need to be reminded of God's love for us and that Christ's birth made uh, new ways of relating to God possible and showed a completely new and overwhelming expression of God's love for us. But we also, we also have to remember that the Son of God invites us to die to ourselves and to follow him. And as we do and as we mature, our eyes are opened over and over again to the transformative power and beauty of Christmas. While we should embrace the wonder of God made flesh, we also need to remember that this infant, this baby Jesus, this eight pound, six ounce infant Jesus is our king who reigns over us, who desires nothing more to be than to be in a relationship with us, who has set standards for us to abide by, to live by, 
to apply to our daily life so that we can live a good life. So that we can experience that life that he came to give us. A full life. A life that he calls us to follow him our whole lives. So yes, we celebrate the birth of baby Jesus. But it's so much more than baby Jesus. It's the birth of our King. It's the birth of our Savior. It's the birth of the power and authority that has come to change our lives forever. So it's cool to celebrate baby Jesus and the nativity scene and that's, 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 that's cute, it's awesome. But the power and the authority of the king is what should get you going every day. It's the reason we celebrate. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to us. So this Christmas, no matter how many gifts you open up, no matter how big or how small, no matter how many plates of food that is on the table, no matter how many Christmas carols you sing or Hallmark movies you watch, I want you to leave here knowing and understanding that we celebrate the birth of our King, King Jesus. And that he has something incredible for you and yours in this new year. Amen.